welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Rachel Bauer to you. She's going to be sharing with us this morning. We are so excited to hear from her. Rachel is married to Tim. They have two daughters, Amelia and Chloe. They are right at the heart of the life of this church, and um, we are so thrilled that she's here. So Rachel, come up, and um, I'd love to pray for you as you speak. Father, thank you for Rach. Thank you for everything that you put on her heart. Thank you for what she brings is who she is. So would you speak through her this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Uh, so, Bill has already uh, introduced me, so I'll leave that a bit. But um, we moved from uh, Wimbledon about 16 months ago, um, and we settled in Emmaus, and we love being a part of this church. Um, when I'm not at home or at church, uh, I work for a large PR or comms agency uh, in London, advising companies and business leaders on all sorts of different forms of communication strategy, as well as handling media and crises. We're continuing today the series, uh, The Way of the King, and this is the third in the series. Very good. And we're going to start by reading together from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 15. And hopefully the words will come up. There we go. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So everyone who stands here... Um, in a forum like this, comes with their own views and their own history. We see life, all of us, through our own lenses. And as a communications consultant, I spend a lot of my time advising clients to think carefully about how a message or an image might be received, either by the consumer or by an employee. And on many occasions, I advise business leaders to inject personality, to explain their point, point of view, and we talk about conditioning the environment into which a product might be launched or a speech might be given. So in light of this, let me condition the environment by telling you a little bit about myself. The first thing you need to know is that I am a walking uh, contradiction or seeming con contradiction. Let's start with my memory. Uh, I can tell you exactly where every single member of my family will be in the next month. Dates, times, I can see it. Um, but I regularly forget people's names. I'm a farmer's daughter from Devon, who actually is much more at home in a pair of high heels than wellies. I am organized, structured, and incredibly methodical, to the extent that at home, we have a spreadsheet known as the schedule, uh, which includes where everyone is, what goes into their lunch boxes, what goes into the school bags, what clubs for the whole week. And we religiously, I assure you, sit down on a Sunday night, sorry kids, uh, and go through it. When on maternity leave, um, before it became cool to be tidy, which it is now, 
I labelled and laminated all of my toy drawers, complete with pictures, so that nobody could have the excuse, including Tim, that they didn't know how or anything went, <laughs> where anything went. And at work, I lead a large team, and I run meetings with clear agendas, timings, and outputs. Yet, I am also incredibly scatty and incredibly accident-prone. I regularly lose my keys and our credit cards, uh, and things just happen to me. Particularly even this week, for those of you who do know me, I haven't actually had Botox. Um, I did, unfortunately, have a little bit of an incident with a medicine ball at the gym at 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning, kind of only now has <laughs> the swelling started to go down. Um, another example is that before Christmas, it's a normal day, I catch the 6.24, it's always dark uh, from Guildford Station. I changed at Clapham, went to Victoria, walked down Victoria High Street as I do, I'm a woman of routines. I grabbed my coffee from the, uh, I paid for it, for, at the shop. Um, and then uh, just before my eight o'clock meeting, after I'd sat on my desk, I thought I'd just go into the bathroom. I was going to just check myself out, which was fortunate because I realized that just here, I had an indiscreet item of underwear hanging <laughs> out of the bottom of my trousers, which I think would have made my commute had they fallen out on the platform, a little bit more interesting. <laughs> and the meeting, certainly. Anyway, I resolved to sort that out. So I might be really organized and together and give you the pressure I'm together, but I'm also equally not. Why am I telling you this? Except that it's embarrassing. Um, because today's passage, if I'm really honest, conjures up two extremely different emotions for me. I grew up in the church, and I constantly feel a sense of failure and shame and guilt that I am living a life that in many, on many occasions is far away from the type of person that Jesus wants, to be, wants me to be. I'm in an industry that I sometimes think, my goodness, what on earth am I doing to change the world for him? So much so in the spirit of being um, uh, honest. Adam told us in week one that we were all to approach the Beatitudes with humility and honesty. So full confession time. Um, I didn't know what I was going to be asked to talk on. And the talk landed in my inbox on the last day before Christmas, after the end of an incredibly long team Christmas lunch, where I am embarrassed to say that I definitely consumed um, more glasses of Prosecco than the Ten Commandments would advise me to. Now, I don't tell you this flippantly, and I'm not condoning my behavior. I have repented. Um, but I'm also not lessening the standards that Jesus has for me in my life. However, there will be people here who see this text, and it conjures up inside a sense that they are not enough for where the Lord has placed them at this time, that they're not doing enough to change the big global ills of the world. And yet, I don't think that's what the text says. Because at the same time as feeling that I regularly mess up, I have an overwhelming love for Jesus. I have experienced and regularly experienced the peace that we sing about that passes all understanding. I have no idea how I could do this life. No idea without Jesus. So I honestly have an incredible desire to always tell people about that. I love my friends and I care deeply about my work colleagues. And when they're struggling with things, how can I not tell them? I don't know any other solutions. 
And so it's in light of these two very different emotions that I want to share with you some simple thinking today around three themes, identity, involvement, and influence. You always need a disclaimer at these points, well, I do. Um, I've met many people who, when I've told them we go to Emmaus, they're like, oh my goodness, there's so much amazing biblical teachers. Right, I just need to say to you that when the talk arrived in my inbox, it says that all speakers begin with an exegetical analysis of the text. And I just need you to know, I actually needed to even Google what the word meant. So I encourage you, if this is your first time here and you came for the biblical teaching, you need to reframe this morning as a series of musings and stories within some sort of structure, and then you might feel like you get something out of it. So number one, identity. Being salt and light is not a command. Jesus does not say, go forth and be like salt and light. He says you are. He says you are. It starts inside of us, not with a series of external religious actions that you might or might not think you're failing at. There is no scorecard. It's absolutely not about you leaving today and saying, well, Rachel seems to have a few ideas of what to do. I might copy that. Because it starts with your identity, knowing you are loved. Me knowing and believing the promises, receiving his love and experiencing his peace genuinely. It goes far deeper than our behavior. We're all on this transformation journey to be more like him. And so if I let him transform me, that's all he's asking me to do. And then that's me in the playground, you in the school gates, student digs, buying something from the high street and posting on social media. It's not clenching our fists and saying, and trying harder, and saying, make me more salty, make me more full of light. It's when we imbue and really start to believe the truths of the kingdom, and we can't help but let it seep out. It's also about you knowing your own unique identity. So we are all on a universal journey, yes, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. But you're all, each of us, on a unique journey. And it is not like anybody else's. A few years ago, when I wasn't working full-time, my version of being salt and light came from being around at the school gates and hanging out with my mates and journeying on what I call the snot and tears period of my life, uh, where you had no sleep. And when you cried, there was just a lot of snot. Um, and I realized when I went through that stage that within the church, we sort of feast on this kingdom wisdom. Marriage courses, parenting courses. We find people in the church with different generations and we share our hearts and they help us. And yeah, I felt an overwhelming burden that my mates just didn't have that. Um, but they weren't up for coming to church. And so we got together with an older couple from the church who were sort of further along in their journey than us. And we ran a series of kind of short marriage courses in local restaurants. And we had like 20 couples of our mates just hung out and we just kind of did the stuff together. Uh, we did the same in our home with the parenting teenagers videos. Um, and I invited all sorts of people there, the hairdresser, beautician. How do you know, Rachel? Anyway, um, now I'm in a very different season and my community is more in the office. 
And actually, it comes with a different sets of, uh, set of challenges. I can't do some of the things just because of the role that I'm in, in the same way that I could at the school gates. But I still really love people I work with, and I just want to demonstrate the kingdom. And I don't think that's about token gestures. Our identity is built on who Jesus is and who we are in him. And it says in Corinthians that we are reflected light. We who with unveiled faces all reflect God's glory, the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We have to draw into him. We have to press into him in order to reflect his kingdom. My second point is around involvement. What are salt and light actually like? Firstly, in Jesus' time, salt and light were two very indispensable household objects. There were no fridges to keep meat fresh, no electricity to light up their homes. So you couldn't live without them. Secondly, they both give of themselves. Once salt has been rubbed into meat to preserve it or added to a meal to add flavor, it has given of itself. It has got stuck in. When a candle or a lamp has finished burning, it has given of itself. It's made a difference to where it was placed. And it doesn't religiously preach at people from afar. Timothy Keller says gospel goodness is brighter than religious righteousness because it goes deeper. Salt adds flavor and it makes things taste better. Salt seeks out decay and looks at where it can stop things being destroyed. Light seeks out darkness. Light can stop a child feeling scared after a nightmare. A street light helps us feel safe when we walk home. And light can brighten up an incredibly dismal day. Salt and light make a difference to wherever they are placed. I asked myself, could my team or my workplace live without me? Is the culture that I am seeking to build built on the way of the king? I'm challenged on my team meetings, the promotion, the pay cycles that I oversee. Are they influenced by the teachings of the Beatitudes? If you were here in week one, you heard Adam quote somebody famous, and I can't remember who it is, who said that the kingdom of God is like imagining what it would be like if he was in control. That's pretty amazing. What would it look like at the school gates in our offices and our homes if he totally had rule and reign there? And I'm excited to ask, what's the role that I play in that? And I do think it looks different in each season and potentially each week for many of us. As I said, I can't act the same way at the school gates uh, as I can in the office just because of um, the situation that I'm in. But I do try and seek out uh, ways in which I feel like I can influence. For example, um, if I know that I'm going to have a really hard meeting with a colleague or a client, um, I learned this at a seminar on New Wine, I will go into the meeting room and I will pray and I will ask the Holy Spirit to brood in that place, and I have countless stories where the Lord has intervened uh, and changed the entire atmosphere for those meetings. Uh, a few years ago, I had an old boss who, we sit in an open plan office, um, and he just blasphemed all the time. Now, um, I didn't feel like I ought or should to sort of 
preach at him, it would have gone down really badly. So I just felt prompted to finish his sentences. So he would say, Jesus Christ, and I would say, died for you. And he would go, oh, God, and I'd like, just loves you. Uh, or he'd say, again, God, and I'd go, it's listening. Is there something you want to say to him? And after a while, um, he stopped. Uh, this year, <laughs> this year, I felt um, the Holy Spirit challenged me to be a real encourager of our team. You know, society doesn't build people up. It kind of looks to work out ways in which you can jostle for your rightful place. Um, and so I really felt challenged to send Christmas cards to each of the 80 people in my team, to their home addresses, to affirm specific things that I saw in them individually, to call out the things that were giftings. We would talk about it in a very different way in the church, but we can do it where, where we are. It's at this point that I also need to kind of add in a side note about control, just because I struggle with that. Um, you do know that when the Lord says to be salt and light, that you aren't responsible for the outcome. We do what we're called to do. We are who we are. We ask the Lord to journey with us, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, to guide us. And then we leave it to him. And sometimes it can feel really disappointing um, I've prayed over the years, I've, you know, I do try to pray for people there and then to lay hands on them because I just think it can feel like it's a bit more of a thing that I, I don't know, I'm doing in obedience a bit more than sort of just doing it behind closed doors. And I remember praying for a neighbour a few years ago who was so worried about her baby being breached because it was breached at the time. Um, she was really worried. We prayed and I prayed for the, for the baby and after she gave birth, the baby wasn't Preached, and I remember saying, "It's amazing! Like the Lord answered your prayers." And she was like, "Well, I wasn't really that worried." And to be honest with you, I think it would have happened anyway. I'm like, "Oh my goodness, how much of the Lord do you need?" Um, and the marriage course that we did—it's it's not all perfect. We've got friends who aren't together, um, who are there. But I do know that the kingdom is the only thing we have. The past year for me has been probably one of my most upsetting and challenging. Um, at work because I felt compelled to fight for a situation that I thought was, and I still think, is about uh, being, being and living the way that the kingdom uh, shows us in the Bible. It was about fairness and justice and compassion. But impressing in in that situation uh, has led to an incredibly uh, protracted legal case. Uh, and the process itself has felt like relentless uh, punches in the stomach because I feel as though I've been attacked at the very core of who I am. And yet I know that the Lord said to stand up for these things. It's also been pretty hard, I have to also say, because in the last uh, year we've been grappling with my parents splitting up, having been together for over 50 years, having met in their church youth group. Um, and I, the reason I tell you this is because involvement actually looks different it doesn't mean that you have to give of yourself so there's nothing else left for your families. It's about pressing into the Lord, asking him and his Holy Spirit to guide you. My final point is around influence. Your influence with others, where you are, but equally their influence on you. Because whilst it would be quite nice to ignore the points in the verses where it talks about salt losing its saltiness or putting light under a bowl... I probably have been given the whole text for a reason. 
Growing up in the church, and you, we will still hear it now, there was always a narrative around being in the world, but not of it. It's just this prevailing church narrative. And I get it. Like, I'm totally for it. I will have quoted it, and I get the theory. But I do also know that for me, in the church environment that I was in, it was definitely used as an excuse to back, to step back, to not roll up our sleeves. As though, in some ways, we either didn't have faith in ourselves to sort of be ourselves outside of the church, or potentially even worse, that we just didn't think the kingdom thing was really up to much outside of the church. He, the kingdom really is okay. Jesus really is the hope of the world outside of here. R.T. Kendall says, the salt of the earth are those people who seek to be like Jesus. They've got a burden for the lost and they care for the hurting and the damaged. And through the way they live, people believe there is a God. You can't manufacture that and you can't believe that or do that unless you journey with people. I can't do that. And so to me, being of the world, sorry, being in the world but not of the world, to me is more about what goes on in here and in here rather than what I do. I honestly don't lose my saltiness, I don't believe, after my Christmas lunches or when I go to the pub or when I party with my neighbours and my friends, of which I like to do a lot of. But I lose my saltiness when I let narratives affect who I think I am. So I lose my saltiness when I look at LinkedIn and I feel rubbish compared to somebody else's career trajectory. I lose my saltiness because at that moment in work, I haven't felt confident about who I am and where the Lord has placed me. And so I feel this need to exert my authority um, to the detriment of someone else. I lose my saltiness when I start to compare my Instagram or Facebook posts to somebody else's. And I hide my light under a bushel, under a bowl, when I'm consumed by fear of what somebody else thinks of me and when I don't really believe that God has a plan for my life. And I think someone else's view is far more important than the Lord's. That's when I lose my saltiness. In Jesus' time, salt was traded, so it had this sort of currency value. And its value was lessened when traders, in order to try and get more money, would contaminate the contents with other white substances. When I let myself be controlled by the views of Silicon Valley and the gospel of Instagram or Facebook, rather than the freedom contained in the way of the king, that's when I lose my saltiness. And then I lose my confidence, and then I lose my influence. But we're not to be disheartened. Jesus has faith in us. Jesus put you, he put me, where he put us. Let's think back to who Jesus was speaking to at the time. 
He wasn't speaking to the grace and good, the elite of society. He was talking to his disciples, fishermen, people he was journeying with. He had already told his disciples that he was the light of the world. And then he said, you're the light of the world. So he had belief in a bunch of fishermen to change the course of history. And he was right. And I'd like to encourage you and propose that we're living in a time where the kingdom narrative, the way of the king, is totally what people want to hear. And yes, I know that the kingdom is 100% countercultural, but I also don't think it's as alien as we sometimes think. People are desperately seeking the truth. There was an extract from Paul Dolan's book last Sunday in the Sunday Times, which is called Escaping the Myth of the Perfect Life. And in it, he says, we all live in stories, stories that say we must be educated, we must be super slim, super fit, happily married, and so forth. And I'm not saying no one should be wealthy, successful, or married, but these narratives can be like heroin, and people can never get enough. We don't have the randomized controlled trials by which we can identify causality, but the data suggests that beyond a certain point, you don't get any happier for being richer. It's not exactly a massive leap from that <laughs> to the teaching of the Beatitudes. For those of you who have followed the Cambridge Analytica story or watched the Brexit uh, documentary, uh, I'm in an industry where this is actually quite prevalent. Um, we are beginning as a society to wake up to the fact that we are actually controlled. So many of our shopping habits, believe it or not, are not um, where you are in full control of your decisions. And so suddenly, the narrative of freedom and hope that Christ gives us actually makes sense from a bigger macro perspective. Society is looking for people who care deeply and passionately. Jesus had faith in his disciples to change the world. The final point I just want to make is that a little bit of salt can go a long way. And a little light can shine and brighten up an entire room. Jesus has faith in me and in every single one of you, every single one of us, to influence where he has placed us at this time. Do not spend time worrying that you're not, I don't know, having a huge impact in this area or that area, or comparing your calling to someone else. It's really, frankly, a waste of time. We have a kingdom message that is full of light and hope that really can change the world. Is it easy? No. Is it an adventure? I think so. But fundamentally, I know no other way of living. I do not know what I can do with my friend's pain, with the challenges that people at work face. The only thing, the only thing I have is Christ. And I am desperate that more people know what that feels like, because I don't know how else to do this. 
As I finish, I'll leave this extract from a poem that I discovered whilst preparing for today that captures, I think, far better uh, than what I've been able to say. And I felt really challenged whilst preparing um, that there were maybe a couple of groups of people, a couple of people maybe uh, need to hear the message that you are enough. Where he's placed you, you really are enough. And for those of you who uh, need to know that you need to keep on keeping on, you will change the things that you are, uh, that are burdens for you. Because we can all do it through him. Amen.